It's good to see everybody this morning. Happy New Year for all watching and listening. First day of 2023. 2022 is gone. Good to be here. Be with everybody. Hopefully everybody's wide awake. Bushy tail like the squirrels out there playing in the front yard there. Didn't stay up too late. Drink too much bubbly or anything. Everybody's ready, ready to go. Well, it is a true blessing to have another year that the Lord's given us together and, uh, we're grateful for that. We're grateful for the Lord, what He's done this last year. You know, through all the troubles and trials that we've went through, we've had a lot of sickness, we've had a lot of injuries, we've had hard times and good times and all kinds of times, but of the Lord and we're thankful for His mercy and grace that He's given us. I'd like for you to turn this morning, if you would, to Psalms 130. I couldn't think of anything better talk about as we kick off a new year and to talk about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't think we could ever tire from that if we are his children. You know, I have a lot of fond memories before I get into reading this. just want to kind of recapitulate a few things in the past. I have a lot of fond memories of New Year's and New Year's Day. For a few years, we used to go and fellowship over in Arkansas with with a gentleman and his family and some friends, Brother Jerry Maurer, and I think you kids remember going over there, and uh, Brother Jerry and his wife, and um, trying to remember now, Mike McGinnis used to come, and Jerry uh, Richard McCrory. Used to come, Brother Stan Phillips used to come, uh, Anthony Frisbee, member of their church over there, he would come. Um, I'm missing anybody else. I, there's some other gentlemen that came, came and went. Those men usually was the ones. Don Martin, I think, came a couple times. Um, anyway, we spent uh, spent several. Several New Year's Eves and New Year's with them and what great memories of, of fellowship that we had sitting around talking about the Lord and one of the verses that comes to mind and it was really a theme of those m- meetings that we would have together but a uh, couple of verses that always come to mind when thinking about that and thinking about the gospel and thinking about Christ and just our gathering every week to proclaim the gospel uh, comes out of Malachi 3.16. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. Uh, as we're going to be looking at Psalm 130. But in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. They that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and I can tell you, every time we fellowship together on those New Year's Eves, and we still have fellowship with other churches as well, and have friends that we fellowship with, and you guys kind of are 
privy to the conversations that me and my friend JC and other preachers, you know, we often will sit into the wee hours of the night and visit and everything like that. And it's just a, a, a rejoicing in what Christ has done for us. And as it says here, we spake often one to another. Um, we speak of Christ. Another verse that comes to mind and always rings true with what uh, we said, and it used to be one of Jerry's favorite verses, uh, it's come to be one of mine as well, is Isaiah 40. It says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. You know, whenever we speak often one to another, we speak comfort. We talk about the gospel. We comfort each other in the gospel. And we preached on that just not too long ago, I guess. But um, we speak that Christ has done all the things needed for us. And that his redemption for us is complete. It's full. It's completely total in all of its Workings from the very beginning, from eternity to the very ending, going on into eternity, and everything that has to do in time is all brought by sovereign grace. It's by God's work. It's by God's hand. It's by Christ's doing. It's not anything that we do, but it's what Christ has done. And so, whenever we that fear the Lord speak often one to another, and we comfort each other, we comfort each other with the words of "It is finished." That your redemption is there. That salvation. Is complete. Salvation is full that there's forgiveness with the Lord. And what beautiful words those are. And, and I began thinking about that yesterday as I was looking at memories on my phone. I started seeing some of the pictures of days gone by where we fellowshiped. Some came up of where we fellowshiped down at uh, Mayhew Baptist Church, Primitive Baptist Church with uh, Brother uh, Hatfield and uh, their church and some other brethren. That had come in and uh, for their church de- new church dedication and uh, that was a glorious time as well. All these pictures coming back and flooding with memories and I think back over the course of our life of all the great gospel conversations that I've had with many brothers and sisters in the Lord and all the joyous times that we've had and a lot of the sorrowful times that we've had and unfortunately in some instances some brothers and sisters have chosen to not fellowship with us anymore because of certain views that we might hold and how it breaks our heart that we lose fellowship over things like that, especially some things that may either be a misunderstanding or things that we might not see as as gospel uh, fellowship. But the Lord has brought us through all of it, and the Lord continues to bring us through all of it. But at the center of everything still lies the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all fellowship and we all revolve and speak often one to another of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning I would like us to look at Psalm 130 because as I was reading through this psalm, it just jumped out to me the experience of every child of grace um, and what the Lord has done in their life and how the Lord has done it in their life. And uh, you see the true experience of us here in this psalm. Uh, the psalmist writes this uh, 
uh, this particular psalm, these eight verses here, and I believe it's even though it's just a short little passage, uh, I believe that it really, at least I'll speak for myself, it exemplifies the exact experience that God brought me through and bringing me to understand my sin, the gospel, the wondrous works of Christ, bringing me out of false religion, bringing me out of uh, false gospels, bringing me out of false uh, church, bringing me out of all the things that were false and showing me the truth and showing me that uh, in and of myself that I, I can't do any good, that in and of myself I cannot obtain a righteousness of myself. And I see that in the Psalms and I feel the angst, I feel the heartache, I feel the the, the the depths of despair that comes out uh, in the psalmist here, but I also feel how the joy and the and the and the uh, uh, and the uh, overwhelming um, uh, uh, gladness and excitement that we see as this uh, psalm ends. Um, I look at the psalm, I see that it's basically broken up. Um, I don't know. Other people may break it up a different way. I don't. I don't know. This is just kind of my own thoughts on the thing. But to me, I see this thing broken up in actually four different sections, and each four sections deals with how God brings us into the knowledge and, and the and the enjoyment of our salvation. How God brings us from darkness to light. How God brings us. From, from being completely and totally opposite in running after our own righteousness to bringing us to the place where we are resting in His righteousness alone. And I believe it's broken up in this. I see the first three verses as the place where we're at where God has given us life, has given us spiritual receptors, eyes and ears and a heart that is spiritually now controlled, that is now spiritually alive. And I see where having done that, we now see the law and its conviction and its revelation and its manifesting of the sin that we are. So I see the first three verses as God's law and conviction of sin upon us. I see verse 4 as the entrance of the gospel to that awakened soul. I see verses 5 and 6 as the Spirit granting repentance and faith to the child of grace once that gospel is heard. He grants that person to repent of their false belief and to trust in Christ alone. And then in verses 7 and 8 we see that continuous blessed hope that is given to the child of grace to believe and continue to hope on Christ alone until salvation um, is culminated in His coming and the proclamation of that gospel throughout that whole lifetime. So that's basically how I see this passage broken down into those four areas. And I think that's the experience. And I don't, I don't know, maybe you could share with me in the comments if that was your experience as well. How God has brought us to the place of knowing our sin. Let's go ahead and read it and we'll get in, in, into what, what I'm talking about here. 
Starting in verse 1, Psalms 130, it says, Out of the depths I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquity, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waited for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Father, Lord, we just thank you today for your grace and for your mercy for another year that you've given to us, Lord, safely bringing us through keeping us in your faith, keeping us, Lord, in your word, keeping us, Lord, together as a church, even though as small as we are, where two or three are gathered, you've promised to be there with us, and so we do not see ourselves as anything less than what you are, and we never would want to make it any more than what you've called us to be. And Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us together and to proclaim the message of the gospel. We thank you for this passage that's set before us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help me to reveal Christ in it. I pray that you would help me encourage the brethren through it as the Spirit takes what is here and as it teaches each and every one of us, Lord. It's not by my power, not by my might or eloquence. It's not by my configuring of outlines or preaching or it's not by my oratory skills, but Lord, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit coming and giving light to what is here, giving truth to the sinner, giving us, Lord, encouragement and building us up in the most holy faith and growing us in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we depend upon you, Lord, for everything that we need today to rightly worship you in spirit and in truth, to proclaim your name, to receive of it, Lord, not only for our benefit, but that we might reciprocate that and worship to you, Lord. We're so grateful for all that you have done for us and for Christ Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. As I said, I believe this passage here is a beautiful picture of the child of grace and how the Lord exercises this conviction of sin and sorrow for sin. You know, I think back, as I said, you know, I, of course I think back on all the times of fellowship we had, but going back even further, I think back in my own experience in here, and as I said, as I read through this, I've seen myself in this passage. Um, I see how... And I apologize if I get emotional this morning because as I studied on some more of this this morning and everything, it just overwhelms me, the goodness of God, and how for years I lived in a religious activity. I lived in what I thought was establishing righteousness in my life and, and pleasing the Lord and working for Christ and Preaching his gospel, I, you know, I grew up in church. I, um, I taught 
Bible classes, I preached, pastored, traveled and I sang, I preached in revivals, I give money, I served wherever was needed in church. I was always there whenever the church was open. I was always there. A lot of times I would, you know, help unlock the church, get everything ready to go. Sometimes I would help clean the church. The church needed things fixed. We helped that. I mean, everything I could do. And I remember that there seemed to be a sense of satisfaction in that as, you know, I'm carrying on and doing the Lord's work and I'm, you know, I'm a good little Christian boy. But brethren, I, at the end of the day, it never did really satisfy what was inside. I never really had the, the rest that what I was doing was enough to satisfy the Lord. There never seemed to be enough. I mean, I had a set time that I would read the Bible for a set amount of time. I had a set time that I would pray. You know, I like I said, we came to church at, at every instance, at everything. Anytime that there was extracurricular church type things that we would do, we'd be part of it. We sang in the choir. We, I mean, we did whatever there was to do. And I remember very vividly one afternoon, Lori had went into town and the kids was with her and I was by myself at the house and I was looking at the scriptures and studying the scriptures and it's just as if the Lord himself had pushed his hand right down on my chest and pressed me down and I began to realize that all the religious activities, all the religious things that I was doing, trying to be pleasing to the Lord and trying to obey all of His laws and rules and commands and trying to do my best and trying to follow the Scriptures and be a Christian and be a good preacher, be a good pastor, to be a good father, all these things that I continue to try to do was not filling the place in my mind and my heart that I was accomplishing any kind of righteousness. I just continued to feel that there was not enough there and that the Lord was not pleasing to me and I only continued to see how sinful I was, how sinful I was, how sinful I was and that afternoon the Lord just pressed upon me that I was completely undone and that there was no righteousness whatsoever in me at all. That all of what I had been doing was filthy rags. And everything that I had been trying to accomplish was not going any further. It wasn't moving me any further in anything because it was just my works. It was me trying to be righteous by doing Christian, quote-unquote, Christian things. And that day, I was in complete and total despair. I remember the Lord overwhelming my heart with how sinful I had been. Not just the fact that 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 I knew the secret sins that was in my heart, the lust of my mind, the, the greed, the the selfishness, the you know, neglect of things here and there, whatever the case was might be in, but the very fact that I was trying to perform a righteousness that pleased the Lord when all along the scripture 
was clear that it was Christ's righteousness that God required. And I thought that my righteousness could be equal to his and doing all the things that I could do that God would see that righteousness and say, okay, well, you, Christ is the standard and you're now living up to that standard. And so I was comparing myself with Christ and when I compared myself with Christ, I was found wanting. I was found in the minus category. And I just remember that day I, I fell over in the floor and uh, just completely spread out. My hands, my legs spread out with my face to the carpet and I just began to cry that I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know what where else to go. I didn't know how else to do. And I just cried that the Lord would somehow give me relief from this sorrow of not being able to perform enough righteousness and that I would be saved. That he would that he would show me what I needed. And he did that day as I laid there on the carpet and I cried. I wept for not only me but for the church that I was in because I believed that we were missing everything by continuing in this lifestyle of trying to please the Lord and be right with the Lord by doing things instead of resting in what was already accomplished for us and proclaiming the very sovereign grace of God that all of it was not by our choice, not by our choosing Him or deciding for Him or accepting Him, but that He truly did save His people and those people really did hear and believe and, and rest. And the Lord just placed that. And so I see myself here in verse 1. It says, Out of the depths I have cried unto thee, O Lord. And I just think back to that day that I truly felt that I was in the depths of despair. I didn't know where else to go. I felt that I was a failure as a husband, as a father. I felt that I was a uh, failure as a worker. I felt I was a failure as a pastor and a preacher and a singer, evangelist, whatever you want to call it. You know, and God began to rearrange my whole entire thought process that day. And, and I mean, this isn't a testimony service about me, but I'm just saying, if you can relate to this or have that same experience, and I believe that every child of grace has come through something similar to this, there was a point where finally the law of God was not something that I was trying to keep, but the law of God was something that finally crushed and revealed how sinful I was. And this is what I believe the psalmist is feeling. He says, out of the depths have I cried unto thee. What is he talking about there? He's talking about the depths of his despair, of how sinful he knows that he truly is, out of how deep uh, in sin and how deep in, in transgressions that he is against the Lord. He says, out of the depths have I cried unto thee. And listen, brethren, I can tell you whenever the Lord begins to reveal how sinful you are and how missing the mark you are of His righteousness, it truly is a cry from the heart. Now, it's a blessed thing that the Lord gives us the even the understanding that we're in this way. At this point, we become a sinner. Not that we just now started being a sinner or started sinning. What I mean by that is in our minds, the Lord has finally revealed to us that we are a sinner and we finally, by the Spirit's teaching and by the Spirit's convicting, we finally are convicted of sin in us. That we are sin. That's all we are is sin. See, whenever Jesus said that I've not come to uh, to call the, the righteous, but I've come to call the sinner, 
Well, isn't everybody a sinner? Everybody's a sinner. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. What was Jesus saying? Because there is no none righteous, no, not one. What was Jesus saying when he said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinner he was calling it was meaning, I've come to call those who have been given to know that they are sinners. See, the righteous person don't need Christ. They think that, as I did, that what they were doing was righteousness. I'm preaching, I'm singing, I'm giving money, I'm doing being a good father, I'm being a good husband, I'm being whatever, you know, good work. All the things that I was doing, that I am doing righteousness, therefore I'm doing good with God, I'm on right standing with God, I'm keeping myself in right standing with God, I'm persevering, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. That's what my mentality was. But whenever the Lord comes and gives us spiritual understanding, we don't see ourselves as that. We see ourselves as in the dirt. That I am an unprofitable servant. That woe is me for I am undone. We, the Lord gives us the sight that we are sinners. We see God's law not, a, not as something that we can obtain and, and, and complete or do, but we see it as something that is condemning and convicting because we are all sin. Whenever the, the Pharisee came and, and prayed and he said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this sinner, but that sinner over there, he said, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. See, that's what Jesus was saying. I've not come to call the righteous. Why? Because the righteous doesn't have no need for me. They think that they have the righteousness of their own. Now, they're going to find out different later. But the one who is a sinner. I have come to call the sinner. Why? Because they've been made to know that, that I'm without hope. That if I'm looking at being accepted of God by what I do, all I can see is that I'm a sinner. God's law has condemned me, and I am condemned to die by His law. Out of the depths I have cried unto thee, O Lord. The Lord brings us to the place where we cry out in desperation in the depths of our sin. Look at verse 2. He says, Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. What is he saying there? He said, Lord, please just hear my voice. We know that the Bible teaches us that the Lord doesn't hear the prayers of the wicked. He hears the prayers of his saints, but he doesn't hear the prayers of his wicked, of the wicked. And so the one who is, is in the depths of despair, in the depths of their sins, they cry out to the Lord and all they can do is cry. They can't demand. They surely aren't going to demand the Lord. Lord, I want you to forgive me of my sins. I want you to accept me as your child. No, there ain't no demanding. Whenever we have been given to see our sinfulness and our useful, our uselessness, whenever we begin to see how low that we truly are, that we are just of the dust, all we can do is just cry out. And whenever we do cry out, we pray that the Lord would hear our voice. Is his ear inclined to hear? He says, let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications, to the things that I'm coming to you with and asking. It says, verse 3, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? What is the psalmist saying here? What is the child of grace who has been given to know their sins saying, If thou, Lord, mark iniquity, who shall stand? 
Meaning that whenever we see how holy God is and the standard of righteousness is, and we see how sinful we are, we can only say, I know that there is no way. If you are keeping track of sin, there's no way that we're going to be able to stand because we're all sinners. Isaiah said the same same exact same thing. Uh, I, I just kind of quoted it there a minute ago. But in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, and verses 3, it said, In one cried unto, uh, whenever the vision of Christ, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphims, each one having six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, and he said, What was it that he was saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Whenever we see a vision and a, and, a, and, and a view of God through the spiritual eyes, we see that He is holy, and we're not holy. It says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the Bible says that the post of the door moved, and the voice of Him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And what happened with Isaiah? Look at verse 5. He says, Then said I, Woe is me! For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, that's our attitude whenever we see God. We see Him as holy and we as unclean. We realize we're all unclean, and none of us are going to stand. But look, He uses that word iniquities. The Bible speaks a lot about this. Listen, the Lord is not going to pardon iniquity. Look at verse. Look, look with me at some verses here. Look at Psalms while we're here in Psalms. Go back to chapter one, Psalms chapter one. Now, brethren, I don't think that I can I can scare anybody into heaven. You can't scare people into heaven. I know a lot of preachers that like to preach like that. They like to preach fiery messages so that you might scare people, try to scare people into getting saved. I don't believe that that works. That don't, nobody can get saved for one. They either are saved or they aren't saved. Either Christ has saved them by His shed blood or they're not saved at all. I don't believe you can scare anybody into the kingdom of God, scare anybody into heaven. And so that's not my intent here. My intent here is to show the facts of Scripture and what the child of grace learns and sees as the weight of the law comes in. The purpose of the law is to reveal sin. The purpose of the law is to manifest our sin. To shed light upon our sin. That's why the law is there. It's not to make us holy <coughs> or acceptable to God. It's to show us that we are not worthy. And so it's, this is not to scare people into heaven, but it's to show the truth of the Scriptures of what God says about our iniquity and about our holy God. Look in Psalms verse 1, and it says, in verse 5, it says, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. When God reveals Himself to us, we know that we are not going to stand before His righteousness, but that we will perish. If you would, turn to Nahum, the prophet Nahum. 
just a little short book. If you get to Micah, keep going. If you get Habakkuk, go backwards. But look at Nahum chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, Who can stand before his indignation? And who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. See, the Lord in his holiness, in his judgment, in his righteousness, in his glory, it is a fierce righteousness. It is a fierce thing. And listen, the the unrighteous are not going to stand before his indignation. They're not going to pridefully stand up and say, well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, how come you did this? Or how come you did this? Or why didn't you choose me? They're not going to stand up. The Bible says that he is the potter and we are the clay. Hath not the potter power over the clay? To make one vessel unto honor, one vessel unto honor. Nobody's going to be able to stand before the Lord and say, Why hast thou made me this way? Why did you make me this way? Why was I this way? No, we're going to stand before the Lord and we're either going to stand in our iniquities and be punished for them, or we're going to stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ that by grace was given to us out of the love of God. We're either going to be in one of those two camps. There's not going to be an in-between, and there's not going to be no negotiation, and nobody's going to be standing there saying, well, I was gypped, I was duped, I was uh, treated unfair. No, even the wicked themselves, when they stand before God, are going to know that they cannot stand before the indignation of God because they know that in themselves they are wicked because they are going to be before the holiness of God. And their judgment is going to be right. Turn to Jeremiah chapter uh, 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. Look with me if you would at verse 22. It says, For though thou wash thee with nitre, or nitre, I don't know if you know what that was, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know what it was, I had to look it up. But what nitre is is potash. It's it's a uh, it's a, a mineral that they would take and they would pour vinegar on it and it would kind of make a a bubbly effervescence, kind of like peroxide or something like that. You know, it would kind of bubble whenever vinegar would be poured on it. And they use that sometimes to wash uh, clothing and things like that. So it kind of be like OxyClean, you know, or OxyClean. Take that powder, put it in water, and it kind of bubbles a little bit, something like that. Well, this is what this is, is. It says, For though thou wash thee with nitre, and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me, saith the Lord God. See, people think that they can hide their sin from God. They think that they can, that they can, uh, uh, pull one over on God, that God's not paying attention. There's so many other people out there that sit in way worse than I get, and God's not. Uh, listen, God marks every iniquity. It says right here, Yet thine iniquity is marked before me. Every iniquity, every sin has been marked. God knows it all. God, God isn't dumb to what we do. God isn't dumb to the, our sin. 
He knows and marks iniquity. Look back into Psalms, if you would. Psalms chapter 40. Look at verse 12. It says, For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head, therefore my heart faileth me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed. Or That's far we need to go there. <clears throat> so whenever the child of grace sees their iniquities, and they know that those iniquities are marked out, and they know that God knows. I knew that God knew. I knew that God knew I was trying to be righteous, but I also began to see and know, as God revealed it to me that day, God also knows that all my doing wasn't good enough. I truly was trying. I was trying hard. I was doing my best. But at the end of the day, the Bible says that anybody who doesn't keep the whole law has broken all the law. And those who break the law have transgressed the holiness of God. And that by that transgression, the Bible says, the wages of that sin is death. That God will not acquit the wicked. That God will not pardon iniquity. And that day, my iniquity fell on me as hard as it could have ever fallen. Now, I'm still convicted. I'm thankful that the Spirit still convicts me of sin. I still am thankful that the Spirit reveals sin to me and what is sin, that I might uh, confess that sin before the Lord. I'm thankful that He still does that. But brethren, listen, as the psalmist here, and not only the one that we've read, but just now the one that we're reading, we see the innumerable evils that are about me. How my iniquities have taken hold of me to the place where I don't even feel like I'm able. Can the Lord even hear me? That's what our that's what our passage said, right? Is the Lord's ear even listening to me? Can He hear my cry? I'm crying to God, and can He hear me? And that day, listen, I cried to the Lord when my face was in the carpet. You couldn't hardly hear me, but I was praying the Lord could. Can the Lord hear me? Have I neglected God so long in thinking that I could do a righteousness that He even hear me? Now some people think, well that's stupid. Yeah, God can hear. Even the wicked, He actually hears them. I'm not talking about can God audibly hear what I'm saying. I think God hears everything that goes on because God knows everything that goes on. What my heart was crying out is, Oh Lord, do you hear me? In the hearing, like when Jesus said, let him that has an ear to hear, let him hear. Is it an effectual hearing? Is it a hearing with spiritual effects? Does God hear what I am saying to the point where God hears? Because God has, by his purpose, intended on giving me salvation. Does he hear my cry because I am one of his children? Because God hears his children. Does he hear my cry because the shepherd hears the lost sheep bang over in the bush and can't get out? 
Here's the sheep that's gone astray, that is lost. The shepherd goes and finds that sheep. And we know his voice, but does he know ours? But the Bible says, I know my sheep. And I call my sheep out, and they follow me. And so the the cry of the psalmist is, my iniquities are so great, does he even hear me? Look at Job, verse 10. Well, what an exercise Job went through by God in knowing his sin. Just at the point that Job would rejoice a little bit, God would bring him back low. He'd bring him to the heights and then he'd bring him back low. And Job and all this, God showed Job his sinfulness and his desire. And at the very end, listen, Job knew, hey, at the end of the day, God is sovereign and I can't do anything to change anything that God does. And what he does is right. But look here in Job chapter 10 and verse 14, what Job says as he begins to despair again. He says, If I sin, then thou markest me, and thou wilt not acquit me for mine iniquity. If I be wicked, woe unto me, and if I be righteous, yet will I not lift up my head. I am full of confusion, therefore see thou my affliction, for it increases. Thou huntest me as a fierce lion, and again thou showest thyself marvelous upon me. So we see here, that the depths that we can get to, and we know that our sin is before the Lord, that He counts our iniquity. Back in Psalms chapter 1 again, we just read it a minute ago, verse 6, he said, 1 6. Psalm chapter 1 and verse 6, for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Another good good verse is Malachi, last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter three, verse two. It says, "But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth?" For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. Probably one of the best that we can see is back in Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. Look with me at verse 15. You know, I mentioned that we a while ago that we can't hide our sins from God. And I'm not just talking about the plain people. I'm talking about every person. I don't care if you're a governor or if you're a state senator or if you're a police officer or a military person, a king, a president, a prince, a billionaire, a gazillionaire. I don't care who you are. The Lord knows. Look at verse 15. It says, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains. 
and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Whenever God's judgment came on these people, listen, it didn't matter what their status was. They was crying, Hide us from this judge. Hide us from the one who sits on the throne. Why? Because they knew their iniquities are not going to stand before the Lord. Brethren, back to Psalm 130. The psalmist says, Out of the depths I have cried unto thee, O Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou shouldest mark my iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? You've told me, you've showed me that I can't stand in my iniquities in front of you. But brethren, we come to the next part of the experience of grace that each child of grace goes through in verse 4. Whenever the law comes in and convicts us and shows us our sin, what is needed? Well, in Galatians we found that the Judaizers was coming in and when the law of conviction was coming in, they were saying, you better get after keeping that law, otherwise you're not saved or you won't stay saved. But what did Paul say? That's another gospel. That's not the gospel. When the law comes in and convicts us of sin, the child of grace who's been given spiritual eyes and ears and a heart, they know their sin. They know their sinfulness and they know the futility of trying to keep the law for righteousness because they only know my iniquities are going to be seen for what they are, and I cannot stand before the Lord. So what's the gospel? What's the good news to the child of grace who the law has crushed and condemned? There is forgiveness with thee that the Lord or that thou mayest be feared. Brethren, the child of grace receives the gospel when the law has crushed and condemned and shown them their, their, uh, their shortness, their failing. The gospel comes in as good news. Guess what? There's forgiveness for that. There's forgiveness with the Lord. And so I remember that day that I was crushed on the carpet. And as I cried, I lifted my head, and I've said this and mentioned this before, in a pool of snot and, and cry from the carpet, I lifted my head, and all I could hear was, it is finished. That's all the Lord could bring to my mind, is it is finished. I have forgiven you. Yes, I know your iniquities. Yes, I have heard your voice. Yes, I have known all the travail you have tried to do in trying to please me and to be what you thought should be and what you have tried so desperately to establish in your own work. I know that you have done it. I know that you have failed. And guess what? I know that you will continue to fail every time you try to do it. But I forgive you. I forgive you for trying to replace your righteousness with mine. 
I have given you a righteousness, yet, but every time you try to put up a righteousness for yourself, I will forgive you. I will forgive you. Brethren, that's good news. That's gospel. The Lord has given us forgiveness. <coughs> there is forgiveness with thee. And then we move to the third portion or the third part of the exercising of God's work in us. Whenever the gospel comes in and it tells us this good news that you've tried to establish your own righteousness but it always fails. No matter how diligent you try. No matter how zealous you are. No matter how faithful you are to establish that. You always miss the mark. But I forgive you. I have forgiven you of every one of those sins. Not only all the ones that you have done, but all the ones that you will do until you die. <clears throat> so when the gospel comes in, the Holy Spirit grants to the child of grace repentance and faith. Repentance is to turn about, to change directions, a change of mind, to turn from, so the Holy Spirit gives us or grants us repentance. See, we can't repent of our in ourselves. We can't turn from ourselves. Now, whenever I say repentance, I'm not saying that I'm going to turn around and quit doing sin. Because I'm going to continue to sin. I will continue to sin until the day I die. I will continue to miss the mark of keeping God's law 100%. Now remember... There isn't a partial keeping. God isn't keeping partial track. Okay, well, 80% you did good, 20% you did bad, so therefore I'm pleased with you 80% of the time. I'm not happy with you 20% of the time. 80%, good job. 20%, no, thumbs down. That's not how God works. It's God says, here's the standard, it's perfection. Here's you, not perfection. But God, I've done all this, I've done all this, I've done all this. No, 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 no. Perfection is all this, 100%, every bit of it, all the time, never missing once. Did you do it? Have you done it? Are you going to do it? No, you're not going to do it. You can't do it. Why can't you do it? Because the flesh is just flesh and it cannot please God. And you, apart from Christ in you, are just flesh and you can't please God. But Christ who is in you, He's perfect. And there is no need for law because He has kept the law. We have the law written in our hearts. We love the law of God in the inward man, after the inward man. And we keep the law of God after the inward man. Because it's Christ. But this flesh can't keep it. It doesn't keep it. It never will keep it. Therefore, there needs to be forgiveness of sin. Not just for past sins, for present sins and for future sins because we are going to continue to not be this standard in the flesh. That's why the flesh must die. That's why the flesh will just deteriorate and go away because there is no more 
ability, or there never wasn't any ability, to keep righteousness in the flesh. And so God grants us repentance from turning and thinking that we can achieve this, or even this, and be pleasing to God. No, repentance is saying, I know that in me dwells no good thing. And then turn over here and say that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Our righteousness is in Christ. Not in myself or in my attempts to be righteous. In my attempts to be obedient. No, it's in Christ's obedience. So we have repentance to turn from thinking we can gain righteousness on our own and turn and we have now faith in Christ's righteousness alone as our hope of salvation. It was Christ's righteousness. It was Christ's faith that God counted. It was Christ's obedience that God counted. It was Christ's sacrifice on the cross that God counted as the payment for my sin. So I have now turned from thinking I should be going in this direction and trying to keep God's law so that I might be right with Him to turning and now seeing Christ alone is my righteousness, so I'm going to trust in Him, and I'm going to turn away from, I'm going to stop and and discontinue dead works of zealous religious work activity. And I'm going to turn and I'm going to just trust Christ alone as my righteousness. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to work in me, to will and to do His good pleasure. I'm not going to trust in my own flesh. I'm not going to lean on my own arm of understanding, as Paul said. I'm not going to lean on the arm of flesh. I don't trust in the arm of flesh. I trust in the Spirit of God. The law convicts us. The Gospel tells us the good news. And the Spirit grants us repentance and faith to trust in Christ. Look what he says there. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. In His word do I hope. Who do we hope in? Not in ourselves. We hope in the Word. Christ Jesus. The Word of God is Christ Jesus. We hope in Him. It's not talking about we hope in the Word. Now we can count on this Word because it's the truth of God. It's God's words. He spoke them. It's truth. God cannot lie. This right here is truth. But brethren, that's not what we're hoping in. We are hoping in the one who this talks about, which is Christ. That's faith. God has given us faith. Repentance and faith come hand in hand. To have faith in Christ means we've turned away from ourselves. To have faith in Christ means we have turned away from establishing righteousness by works and law-keeping and by looking to Christ and saying, it was finished. He did do it all. That's what faith is all about. Look what he says in verse 6. He says, My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. What is he speaking about with that watch for the morning? That watch for the morning. Well, there used to be people that took turns. They were called watchmen. And they would watch and they had, you know, there would be a day shift and there would be a night shift. And, you know, during the day you can kind of see everything that's going around. And what would they do? They would stand on the wall and they would watch in case any enemies would come and attack. Well, at night, it's hard to see. Especially back when this was written when they didn't have giant flashlights that could light up half a block. You know? 
So they would have watchmen that would be around the wall and they would keep eye on everything and they would alert anybody of any dangers that was coming. And so they would be watching and waiting. And through the night, all the anticipation and all the uh, the the uh, uh, nervousness of not being able to see very good in the dark. Well, what, when the morning comes, hey, not only is our shift over, but we can see again. We can see what's going on. And he's saying, I'm, I, I'm waiting on the Lord like that in anticipation. I'm waiting on Him because I know my only hope is Him. And so I am waiting for the culmination of all this, that all my activity of sin will be put down and all that will be seen will be Christ Jesus. That will be whenever He comes again. But lastly, brethren... We see verses 7 and 8, which I believe is the fourth section in the experience of the child of grace. We see verse 7 and 8 talks about the hope that we have given in Christ and the gospel proclamation. We've been given a hope and we declare it. We profess it. We confess it. We preach it. Look what he says there, look at verse 7. He goes from turning from himself and his despair under the law to seeing that there is forgiveness, good news, gospel. There's good news, there's forgiveness for my sin and iniquities. The iniquities that God has marked out and has kept track of, he has kept track of, but praise the Lord, Jesus has paid the price for every one of those that he kept track of. Therefore, there is forgiveness. And he said that God has granted him repentance and faith. So now he waits on the Lord and his hope is in the word of God. His hope is in Christ Jesus, not in himself. His hope isn't in God accepting him or overlooking his iniquities. His hope is in Christ and the forgiveness that comes to his iniquities because Christ paid the price for those iniquities. Repentance and faith has been given. But now he turns outwardly and he says, let Israel. Now he begins to tell everybody else, this was for me. This has been my experience. I came from the depths of despair to the heights of joy because I've learned the gospel. And now, in turn, what is he doing? He's turning around and calling out to all of the other children of grace. To all the other children of Israel, if you would. Let Israel hope in the Lord. Let Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy. And with Him is plenteous redemption. Now I just want to harbor here just a little bit. I know it's about time. I just want to harbor here just a little bit on this. He says, let Israel hope, let the people of God hope in the Lord. Turn away from this law keeping. Now, if you remember, this is back during the time where the law had been given to them for them to continue in the law, right? But as we look at these through the spiritual aspect, the spiritualized, what is being preached here? Let Israel hope in the Lord. Let our hope not be in the law keeping that we try to accomplish. Because every year they had to continue in that law and every year they kept breaking the law. Therefore they had to keep making the sacrifices. Which was a continual reminder 
that they keep breaking the law. And as long as God allowed the priesthood to be there to sacrifice those sins, there was a covering of sin, but not a taking away of them. It wasn't until Christ came that he took away the iniquities of us all. But it says here, it says, Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy. And with him is plenteous redemption. That word plenteous redemption there is really one thing that kind of struck me, especially this morning. Let's read a few verses about that. Because whenever I think plenteous redemption, I'm thinking an overabundance of redemption. Listen, whenever I was on my face before the Lord and my iniquities were being brought to my mind and how sinful I was, the thought process is, is there enough forgiveness from the Lord? Yeah, the gospel comes in and says, hey, there's forgiveness with with me. The, the very thought in the mind can say, yeah, and you may have even heard people say this before. Well, I might understand that, but I don't know if the Lord can save me. I'm too far gone. I'm too far in the depths. I've done too much. I've done, if you only knew what all I've done, you'd know the Lord probably couldn't save me. The Lord probably couldn't overlook all this. Too many to count. Well, he's saying right here, there's plenteous redemption. So not only is it enough to cover your sin, but listen, it's enough to cover everyone in Israel. Spiritual Israel, that is. It's enough to cover all their sins. It's plenteous and it's efficaciousness is plenty enough in its application is plenty in in uh, the efficiency of it it's plenty in all of that it covers everyone for who it was intended and it provides everything for everyone it was intended for they have no need they're complete because of Christ Jesus because there is plenteous redemption look with me if you would to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55. Look at verse 1. It says, Ho everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come by milk, by wine and milk without money, and without price. See, there's enough there. Look, if Walmart today would say, today and today only, we're removing every every price sticker on every item in the store. And you're free to come buy whatever you want without money. You just come. No price. It's free. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, man, have why? Everyone's going there to get it. Why? Because it's free. There's no price. So you can imagine the crowd of people that will respond to that and go to that. Why? Because it isn't costing them anything. They're getting it for free. It's something that they want or something that they need. In either case... It's not costing them anything. But what's going to happen at the end of the day? Everything's going to be gone. It's all going to be done. There ain't going to be nothing left. But here, God is saying, 
that he has plenteous redemption. There is enough for everyone who comes. There is enough for everyone who comes to get it for free. If you're coming to get it with money, there's not enough. Because it's not for sale. Everyone who is coming to get it for free. Why does he say, buy without money? Because if you buy it, it's not free. If it's not free, then you earned it because you paid for it. And grace is free. Salvation is free. God's gift of mercy is free. We come to Him for mercy, and there's plenty of it. We come to Him for forgiveness, and there's plenty of it. We come to Him for love, there's plenty of it. We come to Him for grace, there's plenty of it. We come to Him for help, there's plenty of it. We come to Him for righteousness, there's plenty of it. But we come to Him with open hands, empty pockets, no billfolds, because when we come to Him, it's free. He will not be paid because He gives it by grace. Look at verse 5. Let me get back there. Isaiah 55, verse 5. It says, Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God for... I think I might have got the wrong. Not five, I'm sorry. Verse seven. Let the wicked forsake his way and the righteous, unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. There is abundant pardon. Again, Jeremiah chapter two and verse 22, or I'm sorry. I keep getting off on the wrong verses here on my, on my list of verses that I've got down here. Psalm 25, 22. Forgive me for the weakness in my flesh here. Psalm 25, verse 22. It says, Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Not some of his troubles. Not just the past troubles. Not just the present troubles. But all his troubles. We are redeemed from all of them. Look at chapter 88. Or 86. Verse 5. Psalm 86. Verse 5. <clears throat> For thou, O Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them. Plenteous in mercy. There's that word again. Plenteous in mercy. To all them that will answer thee. Matter of fact, if you look right there in verse 6, they call upon me. Look at verse 6. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. He's saying the same thing he said in 130. Lord, will you hear my voice? Will you hear my supplication? 
the hundred and third Psalm. Psalm one hundred and three. Look at verse three. We'll start with verse one. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquity. Who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. He forgiveth of all thine iniquities. From all our iniquities. He forgives us from all our iniquities. In verse 8 of our passage, he says, He shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Sounds a lot like a verse that we just read last week, right? Sounds like Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. What does Matthew 1, 21 say? It says... And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be wrong in saying from all their sins. Because the Bible backs that up, all our iniquities. In Titus 2.14, this will be the last verse we read. In Titus 2.14, Titus 2.14, the scripture says, starting verse 13, it says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous for good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no man despise thee. So it all goes back at the end of the day as the experience of the child of grace, as I mentioned, begins with being crushed by the law of God and seeing the inability to produce righteousness. The gospel comes in and tells us of forgiveness of the sin that God has given, or that we have done before God, and the Spirit grants us a turning from trying to resting in Christ Jesus. And then in turn, what do we do? We turn around and we share that with other people. We declare that to the rest of Israel. We speak often one to another, and hearken, and the Lord will hearken and hear it, and a book of remembrance will be written before him of them that feared the Lord, that thought upon his name. We will comfort each other. We will speak comfortably to Jerusalem, to Israel, and tell her that her warfare is accomplished and that her iniquity, all her iniquity, every iniquity, 
has been found with plenteous redemption, plenteous mercy, that all her iniquity is pardoned, because she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Brethren, I am so thankful to the Lord that He had brought me out of religion, that He brought me out of false Christianity, that He's brought me out of false gospels, and He continues to clear my mind. The flesh just continues to bombard us with these things, but He continues to give light uh, to us. That He continues to grow us in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and continues to build up our hope in Christ and to make us less and less um, dependent upon our flesh, uh, looking to our flesh. And so with the psalmist here, we are crying aloud to all that are in Israel. There's plenteous of mercy. There's plenteous redemption. There's plenteous grace because God's salvation is finished. And so I pray that's been an encouragement to you. I pray that that's been your experience. Surely has been mine. And I pray that if you today, uh, the Lord has brought you to a place to know your sinfulness, and you hear that there is forgiveness with the Lord Jesus Christ, that He grants you grace in faith and repentance to believe it, to confess it. Profess it. One of the ways that we confess that is through baptism. If you believe that Christ has saved you and is your salvation and is your hope, you should be baptized. Show that forth. So I pray the Spirit would lead you in that as well. But that we might continue to speak often one to another of this great and gracious mercy of God. Alright, does anyone have any comments or anything that you'd like to say or share or corrections or rebukes? Alright, let's pray. Lord, once again, we come to you this morning so grateful for the Lord Jesus Christ and grateful for your word. We thank you for the revelation of your Savior and your salvation to the children of God. Father, we know that this message today uh, is for your children, is for your sheep, wherever they may be. And so, Lord, we pray that whether by physical gathering here today, through the Internet, through radio, through whatever means that this thing goes out, Lord, we pray that it might be a comfort to your people, that it might be food for the soul, Lord, that it might be edifying to them, Lord, I pray that you just might bring your sheep uh, back to yourself, Lord, that you gather them in. And Lord, we just pray for our church, and we ask, Lord, that you would continue to keep us in the faith of Christ Jesus, and that we might be a, a testimony of the gospel here in Joplin, that if there are others of your sheep in this town, Lord, that you um, have uh, saved, we pray, Lord, that you would... Uh, Bring us into their uh, acquaintance, that we might gather together and worship together, Lord, that we might feed off of your word and fellowship one with another. And so, Lord, we are so grateful for all that you do for us, and we're thankful for Christ Jesus and the salvation that's in and through him and the spirit that comes. 
and then it gives us understanding and it grows us grace and knowledge the Lord that convicts us of that sin and that it uh, works in us to will and to do our good pleasure we're grateful for you and all that you do for your people and it's in your precious name that we pray Amen